You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Well, good morning. Uh, if you would please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. So again, I feel privileged to be standing before you and opening the word for you today. The burden today is no lighter than it was last week, although I didn't have such a hectic morning getting out of the house, so I don't feel quite as flustered. And, um, and I really took some extra time in prayer to, to get focused on what the Lord would have. He's been using these lessons as I'm preparing them in my own life, and as I'm studying the love of God, and considering how we're instructed to follow after Christ, as 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. I keep being challenged by the Spirit. Do you really love him? Does it show in your thoughts, in your words, your deeds, in your priorities? And I'm constantly humbled to realize how far I have to go. So as we continue looking together at God's love, it's my hope and my prayer that what the Lord has been showing me will also be of use to you and a challenge to you in your own life. So if you're there in First John I'm going to, chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 7, read through verse 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, I come before you with humility, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to stand before your people and open your word and, and share what you're teaching me in my own life. Lord, I pray that you will bless those that are here, and most of all, please just move me out of the way, Lord, and let your spirit speak through me so that what comes out of my mouth is exactly what your spirit desires. And if there be anyone that comes in today who doesn't know you, who doesn't know your love, Lord, pray that today would be the day that they claim that free gift of salvation that you've given through your love. I thank you, Lord, for who you are, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we kind of explored the love of God, we start, but we really started out, we didn't get too far into that because we really started out by talking about who God is. To understand his love, we really need to understand who he is. And we looked at his attributes and some of the scriptures that describe those attributes, his perfections, the attributes of God describe who he is so that we can understand a little bit, in a little bit better way about, about his love. So we talked about those, and I'm just going to run through them very quickly today. We're not going to dwell on them. So we said God is incomprehensible. That means we can never fully understand and know all there is to know about him. He's self-existent. He has always existed because of and through himself. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing external to himself to maintain his existence. 
He's eternal. He has always been and always will be. He's infinite. It means he's beyond measure. And all of these attributes that we're studying, especially since we're studying his love, that means all of those attributes are limitless. He's omnipotent. He, he wields all the power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's omniscient. He knows everything there is to know about everything there is. He's all wise. He has all the wisdom. And he's promised, promised us that if we ask, he will give us that wisdom. God is immutable. He does not, cannot, will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He's light. The Bible says in him there is no darkness at all, which is why the world hates him. God is inscrutable. He's past figuring out. Because he has all the knowledge and all the wisdom, his ways are above our ways. He's faithful. He's faithful even when we're not. He's holy. We talked about how his holiness means it's like a combination or a consolidation of all his attributes in one. It's what holiness means set apart or different, and that's what sets him apart are all his attributes. He's true. He's the source of all truth. We never have to wonder if what he says is true. He's good. He's the essence of goodness, and there's no evil to be found in him. He's just and righteous. He's perfectly just and righteous. His justice demands payment for sin, the payment of death. Yet, God is merciful. And God's mercy means that he withholds payment for, sin, for the sin. He withholds that payment that we deserve, that, that payment of death. He's also gracious. And it means that he showers us with blessings that we do not deserve. And finally, God is love. God is loving, but he is love. The Bible speaks of his loving kindness toward men. Verse 8 that we just read in 1 John 4 says, he, loveth, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And we talked about last week how all of the attributes of God are like adjectives, but then we say God is love, this embodiment of love. He's the very definition of love. He's the essence of love. True biblical holy love cannot be defined apart from him. If we are indwelt by him, by his spirit, then we must love. That's why John said, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If you would turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. We're going to talk now just a little bit about the importance of why this, this doctrine of God's love should be important to, our, important to us in our lives. Love is an attribute of God, and it holds a special place. In this passage that we're going to read, Paul tells the Ephesian believers of the importance of the love of God. It's Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Here we see that being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ gives us the ability to understand, comprehend, to know the love of God. He says we can know it, 
But then in the same breath, he says that the love of Christ passes knowledge. But the love of Christ, the study of the love of Christ, the desire to have a knowledge of the love of Christ fills us with the fullness of God. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to imagine what it must have been like for Christ before he came to dwell among us as a man, a mere creature of his creation, when he had known the fullness of love with the Father and the Spirit. I just want you to be thinking about that as, we, as, as I continue. And then I want to talk a little bit about how God's love is the motivation behind our salvation. By that I mean God offered us salvation because of his love. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us before we even thought about loving him. The salvation that he offers Comes, is just overflowing out of that love. Romans 5.8 that we read last week says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then probably the most well-known verse in, in the entire world, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's love is what motivated him to send his only son, his only begotten son. Then I want to talk about how love is the measure of our faith. It's the yardstick by which we measure our Christian life. That's why I said at the beginning, the more I study about the love of God, the more his spirit is showing me the greatness and the incredible enormity of his love and how often and how far short I fall. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul tells the, the Corinthian believers, let all your things be done with charity. And we all know that charity is another word for love. Galatians 5, 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So again, we're talking about that faith is working by the love that we have that dwells in us. Again, in Galatians 5 and 13, uh, verse 13 and 14. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And again in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. Again, love. Charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Unfeigned means faked. So it's not a fake faith. It's a real faith because it's, it's born out of love. And then when, I'm just going to read like three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. We know that as the love chapter. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we can do all kinds of great things, but if it's not born out of a heart of love, it has no value. So then last week I talked a little bit and I said I'm going to talk about how God, because of who he is, he must love himself. We're going to talk about how God loves himself. And we're talk, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on that today. God's love for himself is the most important of all loves. We can say this with confidence. If it were not for God's love for himself, nothing of creation would exist. As we know from the study of his attributes, God is self-existent and self-sufficient. He didn't need anything before the creation of the earth. He didn't need anything before the creation of all the contents of the earth. He didn't need anything before the creation of man. It was out of the overflow of his great love that he created the earth and man in particular. It was his desire to show man the ultimate love and sacrifice in order to bring glory to his name. God's love for himself is the greatest love. I'm going to read Psalm 148. It's a little bit long, but I want to read the entire thing because this just speaks of the greatness of God's love. If you want to turn there, yeah, that would be good. As we read through this psalm, just be thinking about how this psalm could not be written about anyone but our great God. Starting in verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from, from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise, him all his, praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens. And ye waters that be above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heavens. He he also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. God's love for himself is the greatest love. This psalm could be written of no other. In Ezekiel 36, 21 to 23, he says, But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, whither you went. 
you have which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. His love for himself and for his name, this is so evident in this, in this portion of Scripture. He says, I will be sanctified in you, even though you've profaned my name before the heathen, I will sanctify my name in you, not for your sake, but for my name's sake, but for the sake of my name, because you are known as my people, and so I will sanctify you regardless of what you've done, because I love my name. We talked a little bit last week about how God's love for himself is, isn't selfish vanity, because he is worthy. We might have that trouble in our mind of understanding that God loves himself because our only frame of reference on this earth is other people. And we, none of us is worthy of the kind of love that God is. He has a right to love himself. It is, it is right for him to love himself. And because the object of his love is worthy, it makes it only right that he should love himself. Not like when a, one of us as a mere man is full of self-love. God's love for himself is expressed between the persons of the Trinity. John 17, 4 and 5, this is the Father speaking to, speaking to Jesus. He says, I have glorified thee on earth. I, or, I'm sorry, this is Jesus speaking to the Father. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So he's talking to his father. He's talking about that love that they shared before the earth even existed. And then in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So here we, hear, we, we have the Father talking to the Son about this love. He's expressing this love. He's telling, telling the disciples that got to witness this incredible event, I love my Son, and I'm pleased with him. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28, When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So again, it talks about that relationship between the Father and the Son. And I found a quote that expresses so well why it must be and why this is the highest possible form of love. I, didn't, I don't know who, who the quote was from, but it says, The love of God for himself expressed between the divine persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the greatest, highest, purest, most perfect love that could exist because it is directed from a perfect source to a perfect object. I'll read it again because it, it just it packs such a punch. 
the love of God for himself, expressed between the divine persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the greatest, highest, purest, and most perfect love that could exist because it is directed from a perfect source to a perfect object. So this sums up why it is right and only right for God to love himself. Both the object and the source of the love are perfect. Therefore, between, the love between them is perfect. It's so far ab above and beyond the kind of love which, with which we're familiar. The love between mere men, mere humans, is a love that's imperfect. Even between two of the most loving people, it's imperfect because neither the source nor the object are perfect. Now let's take a minute and think about what that love must be like, putting it together with his other attributes. My frame of reference is so small, but when I think of the best, purest, most intimate love that I can, I think of the love between a husband and a wife. I think of how much and how deep that love is. I'm blessed to have an amazing wife who, whom I love deeply and who loves me with all my imperfections. So far from a perfect object of her love, and she is not a perfect source. But I, but I think about how the love that we have enriches my life. Then I try and extrapolate that into the infiniteness of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have loved each other with a perfect love for all eternity. Before the creation of the world, before anything that we know of existed, God existed in those three persons. Perfectly content, completely and fully loved by each of the other persons. They were self-existent, self-sufficient, not needing anything, fully complete in their love for each other. That was how they existed, the state in which they existed for all eternity past, in a state of perfect love, marveling at the beauty of each other and the love that existed between them. That kind of love that is without measure is beyond our human comprehension. It speaks to that infiniteness of God. So they existed like that through all eternity until God decided out of the abundance, the overflow of that great love to create beings with whom to share his love. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's our God who must and does love himself. Now I want to take a few minutes and talk a little bit more about some of the other aspects of God's love. Remembering as we talk about those that all of the other, these other aspects of God's love flows out of his love for himself. First, I want to talk about God's love for creation. God created the world and called it good. He loves the beauty of the world because it reflects his own beauty. His creation reflects who he is. We just have to look around us at the natural beauty of the world in which we live or turn our eyes to the skies and see beyond this world, and we see the fingerprints of an amazing creator who made all that we see out of his love. Creation reflects his love. The universe was created by and for Jesus. Colossians 1.16 For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And through creation, creation reflects the glory of God. In Psalm 19 the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. 
their voice, the, he- the voice of the heavens declaring the glory of God. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. So God's creation is showing his power, is showing his glory. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, because, they, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's amazing in itself, that we have the ability to understand something that God's created. being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We are without excuse if we don't acknowledge that God, that creator, who loved so much, had an overflow of love that he created all that we see. Creation also displays God's might. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. We should be standing in awe, as, as the psalmist is here, that when we look at all this around us, we look at this amazing and powerful God and the love that he has for us, we should be standing in awe saying, what am I, what, what am I that, you're, that you even consider me? Yet because of that great overflow of love, he does. Creation also displays God's wisdom. Isaiah 55.10, he says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. All of God's words, all of what he expresses, are full of wisdom. And he, and he says that his word will not return void. In his love, God sustains and provides for all creation. Colossians 1.17 talks about how God sustains the very existence of everything that he made. It says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And that word consist means hold together. By the power of who he is, by the power of his word, he's holding everything together. My son Jake likes to talk about how, you know, the, how atoms are held together, and, and nobody really knows how it works. Well, we, can, we do. <laughs> it says right here, it's the power of God's word. God provides for all our needs. Psalm 104, I'm going, to read, I'm going to kind of read through that and skip, skip some verses here and there. Uh, bless, the first verse is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. And I'm going to drop down to verse 10. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of, heaven, of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. 
He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth fruit out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. Where the birds make their nest, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for his seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou, thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek after their meat from God. The sun ariseth, and they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play there. These wait all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. All that he's created, he is sufficient, and he is sustaining, and he is providing for. He provides for all the beasts, and even for us. He provides not only for our needs, but for the needs of his creation as well. He talks about the cattle, the birds, the lions, the creeping things. All of those are provided for. And because he loves his creation, we should love it as well especially when it comes to our, our neighbors. Matthew five forty four and 45 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Exodus 23.5 If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldst forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. Proverbs 12.10 A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Deuteronomy 20.19 When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them. For thou mayest eat of them, and thou shalt not cut them down. For the tree of the field is man's life to employ them in a siege. So God is telling us that we need to take care of his creation. And God's love for creation is shown in his promise to, to renew the universe. God will recreate the world. Revelations 21, 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the First earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And also, we should live 
holy and peaceful lives, and we should count the patience of God for our salvation. Count on the patience of God for our salvation. In Second Peter three, thirteen to fifteen. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. In account that the long suffering, the patience of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So all of that says God loves his creation, and we should also love and respect it, the creation as well as each other. I want to talk in the last few minutes about God's love for the world. In this case, we've already looked at the world in terms of creation, what's around us, the earth and all that's in it. When we think of the world, we also think of the people who live in the world. And I want to spend these last few minutes considering this aspect. 1 Timothy 2.3 For this is, good, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And again, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Earlier, I, was going to have, I mentioned that I was going to have you try to imagine what it would be like for Christ to come to earth to, to live as a man, to be crucified as a common, common criminal. In my study, I came across this picture. Uh, I just want you to kind of picture this. Uh, um, it's a word picture of a conversation, how a conversation in heaven might have gone between God the Father and God the Son. It was written by John Flavel, a preacher from the 17th century. And it starts out, and the Father is saying, My son... Here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie upon my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And then Christ responds, O my Father, such is my love to and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all thy bills that I may see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand shalt thou require it. And I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my father, upon me be all their debt. And the father replies, but my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare thee. And the son replies, content, father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it for them. This is the immense love that God has for us. It's beyond our comprehension. The eternal God who existed from eternity past in perfect Immeasurable love with his son was now to be separate from him. Not only that, but the son 
whom he loved through all eternity, was to become sin for us. Not only would Christ not be in that perfect state of love with his Father when he took upon himself the sins of the world, he would bear the wrath, he bore the wrath of the Father for all of those sins. So he was not only in, not in a perfect state of love, but his Father turned his love away and poured out his wrath upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The anguish of Christ echoes in those words. He did that out of his great love, which he showers on you and on me. So I'm going to ask you, as I've been asking myself, how are you doing with loving him in return? Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.